0: You're listening to That'll Preach. We have an interview lined up today uh, with our guest, Dr. Guy Waters, and I think it's, an, it's, a, it's a topic that you guys can really enjoy. It's a very uh, provocative, maybe difficult topic to talk about, but something really, really important. Uh, we're going to be talking about death, the last enemy that we face as Christians, and how we can think as Christians about death and face it with with courage. And, and humility and hope. So, Dr. Guy Waters, he's the James N. Baird Jr. Professor of New Testament at RTS Jackson Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, he's written extensively on the letters and theology of Paul, the use of scripture in the New Testament, and the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, so, he's got a lot of great published materials. But uh, this particular topic, you know, he's written a book, Facing Last Enemy, which is about death. And it's a great book uh, if you want to pick it up. But we're, we're excited to have. Dr Guy Waters here with us Guy thanks for thanks for joining us Thanks for having me Brian really appreciate it So as I mentioned one of the ways that I found out about you was through your work on death and it was very interesting to me because I thought to myself man someone wrote a whole book on on death on facing death and it's always yeah. occurred to me that death is one of those things that every christian kind of knows abstractly but very few of us, especially when you're young, have a visceral kind of sense of its grip, you know, on your life, unless maybe you've lost a loved one early on. And uh, but this book that you've written, the more you read it, the more you're like, man, we we do have to really it's not just something we can assume. We have to equip people at all ages of life to think rightly about death and to face it again with with faith and with the unique hope of the Christian life. So just on a personal level, What got you interested in studying, writing and teaching on facing death?
1: Yeah, well, thank you for the question, because that's very much part of of this work. Um, You know, I'm older than some and younger than some, but far enough along in life that I've had my own experiences with death, those close to me. Some have been expected, some have been sudden and unexpected. And I don't think anyone, Christian or not, ever arrives at the point where you're just, you've got death in a box. And when it comes, you know exactly what to do and how, how to work through it. There's always that surprise dimension to it. But I think we live in a world that tries its very hardest not to think about death, to pretend like it doesn't exist, and that kind of avoidance strategy is is really no strategy. You're just deferring the inevitable. And I think as, as the church, our faith is centered around the death of a man, Jesus Christ on the cross, and his victory over death. So we, of all people, have stared death square in the face just by saying, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that means we need to be thinking about death as well. Um, you, you asked, just my own personal experience, let me talk about the genesis of this book. Um, I fill the pulpit of a church about 45 minutes uh, <clears throat> outside of Jackson, Mississippi, where I live and teach. And I've had the privilege of serving them for a few years now. And there was a ruling elder who was a physician, and he was in advanced stages of prostate cancer. And he emailed me one afternoon, letting me know that he knew he was going to die. He didn't have long to be on this earth. And he reached out. He said, would you help me prepare for death? And how can you refuse a request like that? So we began to correspond. We began to talk. And out of that came a Sunday school series uh, at the church, which is uh, a largely older congregation on death and dying. And uh, Dr. Thompson was able to sit in, you know, for about a third of those before he fell too ill to sit in on the remaining. But I completed the series and he warmly encouraged me to find some outlet to have it published. And Ligonier was good enough to pick it up. And I was uh, Will Thompson went to be with the Lord uh, Valentine's Day 2021. And I had the privilege just a week or two before he passed away to tell him I was dedicating the book to him and his now widow, Becky. So the the book has a very personal origin, uh, both for Will and Becky, but for the congregation where I serve. And of course, it comes out of the the fruit of having to think through these things personally and pastorally uh, over the years. So my hope is that this will be a book that's essentially a one stop shop where you can begin to think through. Death theologically, practically, just in all of its dimensions, so that when death comes, we'll be less unprepared than we would have been otherwise.
0: was there anything surprising um you know your your friend who was dying was was there anything surprising you encountered uh, as you watched that process? Uh, was there anything even unsettling as a Christian faces death that you encountered?
1: I think, as I look back on that, I think back with a great deal of gratitude and encouragement, because not not just Will, but I I can mention others, um, whom, whom I have watched. You know, death is not pretty, and without going into details, it's just not something that's pretty or glamorous. And to watch Christians approach it with settled faith and testify to that without varnishing the awfulness of death. That's been something, you know, you can't put in a book. You just have to witness it for yourself. And that's been a great help to me, a great strength to my own faith, you know, to see believers who didn't want to be put in this position, but God and his providence have put them there and they're expressing deep trust and faith and to have the privilege to come alongside them and minister to them and their families at those difficult times. uh, I I just can't put words on uh, how rewarding that is and how encouraging that is personally. You, You do have to be present and witness some very unpleasant things because death is unpleasant. and. You know, one of the points that I try to stress throughout the book is we need, in having a biblical view of death, we we can never say that death is something that's good. It's not. It's something that God uses for good, and and we're thankful that he does, but we need to stare death in the face and acknowledge it for what it is. it is. It's an evil, and we're reminded of that every time that we face it.
0: When you think about death, too, it's not just the moment of death and and after and and the absence of a person. But I I've noticed mm-hmm. when people talk about, especially a loved one who suffered a really, you know, uh, an illness that the pro- it's, it's the process of dying itself is almost it's it's separate thing. There's the actual emptiness when the person's gone that the people feel who love them. But there's also this other kind of pain of watching someone they love deteriorate and it just it's this it's very it's very haunting thinking about how it's not even just the person suffering but it's just it emanates out of them their family suffers with them and there's been this weird moment where some people express relief when their loved one finally dies because the suffering is so intense and it's like you said it's death is just i think as a young guy you think death is just you just One day you just it just it's just lights out, or one day you just wake up and you're in heaven, and maybe that is the experience at eventually. But there's all these processes up to that point of death, of the decay of your body, the frailty, the ups and downs. That's the stuff that I think uh, I personally have a lot of trepidation over when you think about that. It's so much more than just your life ending. It's also this bodily suffering that's very uh it's honestly it's very difficult to to comprehend and think about
1: well that's right brian and you just the point you made is so helpful that you know death really is the culmination of really a whole uh, swath of decay and weakness and for some that's longer for some it's shorter for some it's acute For others, it's more generalized. But as much of us, we like to think, well, I'll just be healthy, hearty, inhale, and then go to bed one night and then wake up in heaven. Well, I'm sure that happens to some, but that's just not what happens to most of us. And there's loss in death, but there's a lot of loss leading up to death. And as you say, that reverberates to the family and to the congregation. And I think that's part of the reason it's so important as the church that we do the hard work of ministering to those who are in that position and to their families, because being part of the body of Christ, if one suffers, we all suffer. And that's not a burden that God intends for any of us. In his family to bear alone. And that's a great privilege we have just in very small things to come alongside and to serve one another.
0: Well, talk about as you were yourself ministering in your own experience, but just as you understand, you know, watching others or just in your study of death itself, um, what role does faith play in helping Christians cope with the fear and the uncertainty of death?
1: Great question. And you know, Paul's often quoted words to the Corinthians, we walk by faith, not by sight, become so important because there is nothing like death to stare you in the face. I mean, it's just there and it's unavoidable when it when it comes. And that's where as speaking as a as a minister, as an elder where the word of God becomes so important, because for fellow believers, reminding one another, this is what God has said in his word about sin and death, about what Christ has done to deal with death, about the hope that he has won for us in his life, death and resurrection. I think that's some of the most important things we can be sharing with one another, not just at those times, but all the time, but especially in those times, because you're just not going to get that from any other quarter. And I think unless we understand what God is doing in death, I mean, we we could well succumb to temptations of despair, but it's only through faith that we can triumph through death in, in all of its awfulness because of what we know from the word of God. So ministering the word of God I think is just what faith needs at that time. The faith faces a sore temptation in death and everything that leads up to it. And that's one of the means that the spirit uses to strengthen faith and to equip it to meet that trial is what God has said in his word.
0: It's fascinating when you said earlier about how we worship someone the man who died <laughs> and it's death is like at the center of the christian faith and you know we're going through the book of matthew at our church and it's amazing how much jesus talks about the end about judgment about the final things and then about his own death and it's almost like death is a specter all throughout the gospels but then i think about it's all throughout paul's letters it's through first and second peter as he's as he knows he's going to die i mean death is just everywhere kind of lurking in the background. And I remember it occurred to me that one day God is going to say no to my prayer for healing. <laughs> you know, I mean, in, and, and in, in another sense, maybe it's the ultimate healing, but, but right. just on a very human level, it's a difficult thing to, to think about. And the afterlife, I think a lot of times people will talk about, well, they're in heaven or, you know, when I die, I'll just be with the Lord. And those are true, but, Sometimes they can feel like hollow statements, you know, or just wishful thinking, or it doesn't seem to have the strength that maybe you think it should. So help us. How do you understand? How does understanding the afterlife help us face our mortality and not just treat it as just a trite kind of, you know, uh, saying that we throw around? Um, Yeah. Yes.
1: Um, Well, just to your point, Brian. You know, Jesus says in the Gospels, if anyone does not take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. And I I think we trivialize that expression, you know, when, when we say, oh, I, I was in traffic and five minutes late getting to work, and that's my cross to bear. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. He He means literally marching to the death, to your execution. So that's what we take on when we become believers. It's, it's a life of suffering in and for Christ, knowing, of course, that glory is on the other side. Paul says to the Romans in the eighth chapter, we suffer with him that we may be glorified with him. And even our life now, Paul says earlier in Romans and throughout his letters, we're united to Christ in his death, we're united to Christ in his resurrection. So what does it mean to be united to him in his death? Well, it means a lot of things, but it means we've got a new relationship with sin that we, having been forgiven, having been accepted, we're now putting sin to death. We're on the path uh, to living a life of holiness after the image of Christ, and that picks up our union with Christ and his resurrection we we've been made alive and that life that we're enjoying is not something different from the life we'll enjoy after death so it's not like god is keeping us in a holding pattern to entertain us until we get to the main event the, the resurrection life begun now is just the beginning of what we'll experience in full after death and at the resurrection ultimately so i think that helps to frame our understanding of death i mean there is loss in death to be sure but when we look at it through faith paul can look at death and say mm, gain for me to live as christ to die is gain why is that because it's not he's not going to lose christ if anything he's going to get a Richer and fuller fellowship with Christ than ever he had on this earth. Uh, And that is a step towards the fullness of the life we've already begun to taste uh, through faith in Christ. So I think understanding that continuum that death will not break, but in God's hands, death will advance is critical to approaching death faithfully. Again, that doesn't mean death is anything other than it is, but we just understand it's a conquered enemy, and God is using it to advance his good purpose in our life.
0: It it does seem like, and maybe I'm talking out of my own experience, but I, I have a feeling other people would sympathize with it, where um, there's still this great fear of death, even though we have the promise of the resurrection. And I just, but I read Paul you know, and I read some of the, and, and you read Jesus and all these things, and it did seem like they didn't have a fear. So what's the gap? What What is it that maybe modern Christians are missing that keeps us from having that kind of attitude that Paul had?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. I mean, first of all, death is fearful in itself. And I think we we need to own up to that. And our default As fallen human beings, is that we are bound to the fear of death. Hebrews says in Hebrews 2 that we are in lifelong slavery to the fear of death by nature. And of course, the good news is that's what we've been delivered from in Christ. So, what we've been delivered from is that bondage to the fear of death. That doesn't mean that we will never be tempted to the fear of death. Or that the fear of death isn't something that won't come knocking and Christians will feel keenly. So, I don't think we're, we're promised to be delivered from that. Uh, but what we are promised is that Christ has done the work. And as we look to him, we can, through faith, trust him. And that's the way to dispel that temptation. So, we, we've got the resources in the Word of God and by the power of the Spirit to meet that temptation, and I, I don't think we should expect, just like anything else in the Christian life, that all that's going to happen automatically. I mean, we've, we've got a part to play by picking up the Scripture, thinking about its teaching, um, sitting under the Word of God, uh, meditating on it, applying it, and so on. But all the same, uh, we do have resources that will speak into and dispel those temptations.
0: Well, why don't you talk about some of those? Like maybe you're trying to counsel somebody who's facing death and they feel, or maybe they're not facing death, but they just are haunted by thoughts of their mortality Mm -hmm. and they feel weak in their faith. They -hmm. feel like they should have more hope and bravery, but they don't. What -hmm. are some rituals, practices? things in church tradition, anything that that you've seen that can help build our faith and our courage in the face of death?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, there are a number of things. uh, And a lot of this has to do with the particular situation of a person. Um, You know, I'd want to find out is, you know, is, is there some sin in their life that's that's unconfessed or that they've not adequately dealt with, and maybe we need to focus the conversation there because that can certainly generate uh, fear in the face of death. If if there's some doubt that I'm uh, am am I reconciled to God in Christ, and am, am I reconciled to others? Uh, sometimes it's the fear of loss, you, you know, because death is loss. I'm. I'm going to lose my spouse, my children, my home, everything that I know and is dear to me, all of my dreams and aspirations, my projects, they're just going to stop. And I don't have any control over when that happens. And I I think we have to acknowledge yes, there is loss in death and just on those terms. But the only way you can meet that loss is to counter it with the gain that will be ours in Christ. And thinking about, you know, the wonderful thing about our hope in Christ is that it's for us, but it's not just about us. Because we have the promise of being ingathered with the whole people of God, past, present, and future, and a new heavens and new earth in our resurrection bodies. and. You know, you read Revelation, you you just <laughs> you don't see people uh who, who are unhappy about uh what they've received. You know, they're they're pretty content with it. Nobody's asking to go back. So th- that I think is what we need to keep our our focus on. Uh and so helping a brother or sister keep their eyes on what God has laid in store for us. I think another reason, and it's somewhat related to the first, but it's different, you know, our default as fallen creatures is to rely on who we are and what we do to be right with God. And of course, the gospel says, no, no, you are relying entirely on the record of another to be right with God. And we will be under temptation to look to our lives and to rely on our lives so that we can be acceptable with God. Did I live a good life? And look, if 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 we lean into that, then doubt and despair is going to follow um, at some point. So I think that's where it's so important to be reminded of the gospel. Um, we are accepted. uh only and entirely because of the merits of Christ. He is our hope, what he has done, not what we have done or are doing. And one of the best things we can do, whether or not we know a friend or a loved one who's dying is facing that temptation, is to remind them of the gospel and to urge them, look, this is where you've put your trust. Keep putting your trust here. Uh, and and don't look to the left or to the right.
0: So how does one, you mentioned before, sometimes we distract ourselves, and you write about this in the book, how we, that's a common way through entertainment, through all kinds of different things, maybe even through religious activities and and all these types of things. We distract ourselves from thinking about our mortality, not just in the secular world, but even in the church. People do that. How do you think about death? And how do you contemplate it in a way that doesn't turn into sort of a morbid kind of introspection? I think about sometimes I heard somebody talk about how he will make a practice of walking through a cemetery to remind him of mortality. And in my mind, I'm like, OK, I get that. But I'm also like that would just ruin every week for me you know, if I did it all the time. So how do you what, what's a healthy way to start to think about Mortality, not not even just the hope after it, but just incur. If 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 our problems are always distracted, what does putting our attention to our mortality look like? Maybe in practices or the way we speak or think.
1: Right. No, and you're absolutely right, Brian. We're we're not counseling morbidity. Um, You know, we're we're not trying to shove people into some kind of situation that's just unhealthy mentally. And because that's just not where God wants us to be. You know, we're, we're a people of hope. But at the same time, to, to your earlier point, we do live in a world that's just in stark denial. And I think on I'd answer your question in a couple of ways. One, there's a sense in which you don't have to go looking for death because death's going to find you. It, it it's the great intruder it it will break into your life given enough time and it may be a a scare or a close call it may be through a friend or a loved one uh, a member of your church but it it will come at some point or another and those who are younger maybe not as frequently as those who are older but that's one of the great things about being part of the Church of Jesus Christ. You're in fellowship with people of all ages and stages, and you're going to have a brother or sister who is facing it. So in that sense, you're facing it, too. Um, now, I think there are ways that we can um, constructively think about death as Christians. and. One is just to remember the things that we've been talking about that our hope as believers is not in this life uh, we We look to God's goodness in this life, but this world was never designed to last forever, and this world is preparing us for the next. and I think to to carry that sensibility to the scripture uh, and then to carry it out of the scripture as we pray um I'm not saying that listeners should or shouldn't do this, but one Puritan devotional manual counseled, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you get out of your bed, you know, think about the resurrection. You will, you will be called by the voice of Christ out of the grave one day. And then he says, when you're going to bed and you're changing into your bedclothes, think about laying down your body in death, knowing that in the resurrection you'll take it up. You know, those were ways to help break into our own thought pattern that, you know, as great as this day was, or as bad as this day was, you know, this world isn't going to be around forever, and I'm not going to be in this world forever. God has prepared uh, a, a new heavens and a new earth and me for it, and it, it's telling in First Corinthians seven, as Paul walks through all the different callings that Christians can uh, can serve God in, you you ask the question, well, what is it that makes the Christian different from his co-worker or his fellow student or his neighbor who's not a Christian? And the answer, comes in the middle of that chapter where Paul says we know that the form of this world is passing away we know that that this world is not going to last forever and i'm not living for now i'm living for eternity that's what's going to make my life different so as many constructive ways as we can bring that before our minds through scripture on a day-to-day basis i think that's the best way to keep uh, these realities before us.
0: I remember reading uh, A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, which it's a very haunting book. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, it's been a couple of years since I've read it, but I think at one part, he's thinking about his wife, Joy, who had passed away, and he's kind of keeping these journal entries. And he talks about how he realizes that for him to want her to come back to him would actually be selfish, that he's taking her away from the great bliss. And I was like, man, that's true. But there's this, it's almost like those who are left behind continue to suffer the death, whereas the person who dies, (laughs) their suffering is lifted. How do you counsel somebody who's caring for somebody as they're dying? A loved one, a spouse, a mother, a father, maybe even a a child. How do you counsel the people who aren't dying themselves but are still struck by the sting of death when it's someone else? What are some ways you can help them have hope and, and think through that?
1: Right. Well, you know, if if the loved one who's dying is a Christian, then I mean, you you can say to that person, "We're going to be grieving when they go to be with the Lord, but just understand they will not be grieving." It's not because they don't love us, but because death is gain and there is no grief or sorrow where they're going. And they are anticipating in a way that we we never can on this earth. They will be anticipating that grand reunion that we'll experience. Now, that that doesn't take away our grief, but I think it does at least frame our grief. That we shouldn't be grieved. We should be grieving for ourselves, but not grieving for them because there's nothing to grieve over for them. I think, you know, that one thing that we remember is that when we lose a spouse, when we lose a parent, or even a child, we remember that this person was god's gift to me and that was never designed to last forever i mean relationships are such that at some point they're going to be severed by death and it's never easy when it comes but i think just remembering that this is part of what it means to live in a fallen world and and as believers we have the hope of reunion beyond death. And so there's a sense in which the relationship is severed, but a sense in which it's not. I mean, we can't talk to them or communicate to them, don't misunderstand me, but um, we are as brothers and sisters in Christ, we remain in Christ together, and we look forward to that fellowship, which we'll enjoy in glory afterwards. And then I think, you know, if you're you're speaking with a believer, you know, you say, look, there's absolutely nothing anyone can do to fill that hole when your loved one is gone. I mean, I, I can't. No one else can. And you can't take a pill and make it go away. You can't read a verse and make it disappear. But God has put brothers and sisters in your life to minister to you. And to help you, so you you grieve, and it's going to be hard, but you don't grieve alone, and you've got support in the body of Christ, and that's I think a, a call for the one grieving to receive what's being offered, and it's a call to the church to step up. I mean, it's uncomfortable to go to someone in their grief; you feel like you're intruding. Maybe I need to leave them alone, and. Once where that's appropriate, of course, but at some point you just have to overcome the awkwardness. And can I take you to coffee? Can we can we meet for lunch? How are you doing? Something as simple as that, as basic as that, can just go a long way.
0: How do you help someone process the death of an unbeliever? Mm-hmm. You know, a loved one, a family member. It's probably one of the hardest things right. to to help people through, but what what have you experienced with regard to that
1: yeah well i think you know you've got people who gave no evidence of faith in christ in their life and then you have people who you're just not sure and you know that's uh, just as an aside you know if you're a professing christian one of the best things you can do for those who will be grieving your loss one day is to leave a confirmed testimony that you you are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, not perfect, but make it so that they are not doubting where you are. But what if what if you are in that place? I've been in that place. Many of us are in that place. I, I think the first thing we need to remember is, look, we we have to submit ourselves to the Scripture here. We we cannot tell ourselves or tell others things we we know are not true so you you just cannot say that someone is a christian when they weren't or pronounce them to be in heaven when you know they're just not now i think we do have to be very careful even wary about making pronouncements in that situation because we we don't fully know what may have transpired between a person and God in those last days and hours, uh, particularly I'm thinking of people who have had exposure to scripture and people who've been calling them to trust in Christ. I think in that position, in that situation, we're in a position where the best we can say is we we just don't know. Um, we, we don't have any reason to be encouraged to think they're a believer, but we, we just don't know what God may or may not have done. And I think it's at that point, we have to leave it in the hands of the Lord, um, be grateful. If if we're Christians, it's all of mercy that, and be grateful for that. And we should, at the same time, um, Yield to God's providence in that situation. We should um, find ways to minister to family members of that person who has passed away. They're still living, and that's an opportunity to bring the gospel to them. And they're at a at a tender moment where they may be willing to sit down and think about spiritual things where they might not otherwise. And so take those opportunities in love appropriate moments to um, share the gospel with them. Those are some ways I think we can approach that situation.
0: What are some ways that you've seen that are hopeful in terms of how maybe a widow after the death of their uh, spouse or, God I mean, just parents after death of children or people, the death of a parent, um, you know, that can go south really quick. People can never sort of I mean, to a sense, you'll never heal from it, but but there are different degrees, and sometimes it just derails people. You know, Mm -hmm. what is the difference you've seen between people who who grieve well after, and maybe people who it becomes, just uh, it it really devastates their life to to no end. What what have you seen has been the difference maker in that? Yeah, and and among Christians.
1: Yes. Well, you you know it's. It's sad, and I've witnessed this, where you have, um, I'm thinking of a father, a, a, an older man uh, who who passed away, and he, he was, for all intents and purposes, the glue of the family, and the family just split apart, and I don't want to say they f- fell upon each other, but You know, they didn't have dad there anymore, and so the family dynamic changed. It became very difficult. Um, And I'm not saying that these people are not Christian people. It's just there was a brand new dynamic, and I I think we we need to recognize that things are going to be different, and we need to do what we're able to prepare for that. Um, Where I've seen it go well, I'm thinking of. Um similar situation where a Christian man died, he was older, left a widow, three grown children with grandchildren, and it's been such an encouragement to see the children rally around their mother, to see her church family rally around her. I mean she is not alone and she's been well cared for she Deeply misses her husband. It's been a couple years now, but she she has received the love and support of her children who just knew to step up and care for their mother in a new way. And the church family who's looking out after her, Um, strong deacons who go out of their way to care for her. Um, So I think there has to be an intentionality. And when there's that intentionality, I'm not saying people are coordinating, but when there's that intentionality from a number of sectors, it can go really well. And I think in that absence, the risk is that things can just fall apart.
0: Do you think the church can promote this kind of sober mindedness with death um, in, in in the things that we do?
1: Yeah, I, I think for those of us who are preachers and teachers, we just need to be talking about it. It, It's going to come up in Scripture, and not in a way that's morbid, but just this is part of what it means to be a disciple. It's something you're going to experience. It's something the people around you are going to experience. And here's how we face it as Christians. Here are things we can do to minister to one another when that happens. I think that's one thing. Uh, another thing is, you know, for churches certainly ought to have a strong and mobilized diaconate to care for people in point of grief and need. I mean, those those days and weeks leading up to and after death are just critical, and so we want to make sure that people don't fall into the gaps. But I think we ought to promote a, a mindset in the church. Look, don't just leave it to the deacons to care. If you you have the opportunity and means to minister to this person, go do it and don't be bashful, don't be shy. And I think that becomes important, especially a month or more out from the funeral where the family's gone home, the flurry of activity is over. and the reality of their new life is is dawning on them. That I think is the place where the body of Christ can really kick in. So, really encouraging, and this this can be done in so many ways in the church. But encouraging a mindset that these are people, brothers and sisters, that I can minister to. It doesn't have to be something big or huge or splashy. It can be very basic, very small. It can be a note, it can be a text, it can be a call. Um and offered a coffee, what just how are you after church? But that goes a long way i i I think we really underestimate how much that can do in someone's life.
0: It's helpful information. I mean, I think a lot of people, like you said, people feel awkward around people dealing with grief. You don't know if you should bring it up, how much you should bring up and but I guess yeah, maybe we underestimate what the smallest kind of Things that we do can have can have a massive effect. um How would you encourage somebody who feels that awkwardness on maybe things to say, maybe things to avoid saying, mm-hmm. um, either with a person who's facing death or or the, the people around them who are grieving someone dying or has passed away? Are there any helpful, you know, ways of thinking or talking that that, that you've encountered?
1: Yeah. Well, I think you know that We need to be careful. Um, we, we need to be careful not. We don't blithely want to throw out scripture verses. Well, all things work for good, and then walk away. That's true, and it's true for the situation. I don't know that it's going to be the most helpful thing to say at, at this particular juncture. Um, I think we certainly want to avail, avail ourselves. Uh, in any way that we can to help, if, if we tell a person, well, if you need something, tell me. That's a good thing to say. And I'm not saying never say it, but maybe another way we could say that is, um, could is the funerals approaching? Can I pick up any of your family from the airport? Does anyone need a room to stay um, can can I pick up groceries? for you. Um, I mean, just concrete things that they can say yes or no, but show that we're thinking about them and would would be ways to help lift the load. Um, I think this is counterintuitive. We might think the most painful thing would be to bring up their loved one, but I don't think so. And I've experienced this Sharing with them something they might never have known, say we're talking about a Christian who's gone to be with the Lord, sharing with them something that they said to you or something you saw them do that their grieving loved one never witnessed, and tell them how much that meant to you, can have a huge impression on them. It's, it's a way of saying how much you cherish the memory of this person, you love them, and it's a gesture of love to the one who's grieving. And, and that can be a great solace or comfort. So I think we may think we're doing harm in even mentioning the fact of death. But the reality is we we can't tiptoe around it. The grieving don't want us to tiptoe around it. And I'm not saying be, be callous or indifferent. You have to be sensitive. Appropriately, and you know those are the occasions where we can begin to talk through scripture in a in a meaningful way that isn't a bomb dropped on a person, but is a salve to help uh, heal their wounds.
0: That is really, really wise, helpful, uh, wise and helpful thoughts. Appreciate you sharing those. Uh, You know, maybe maybe to bring this to a to a conclusion, uh, are, are there any books? Or even, I guess you mentioned the, the importance of scripture. Are there any scriptures or just good Christian books, uh, resources that have helped you uh, help other people uh, cope with death or minister to people? Any 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 resources you would recommend besides your book, of course?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, to to your point, Brian. I mean, the the most important place we can be is is in scripture, and you know. Scripture almost begins with the intrusion of death in the threat in Genesis two and the infliction in Genesis three. And it ends with death being swallowed up in the last chapters of the Bible. So we we just need to be in the Word of God as much as we can. And I think that's that's a great deficit in the church today compared to generations gone past. we We just need to be in the Word of God. More than we are. I think we have generations and generations of spiritual ancestors who have thought deeply and carefully about this. Uh, The the reformers and the Puritans, you would be surprised how much they wrote on death. Um, Martin Luther, there's there's a a book, I'm not sure if it's still in print, it may be. It's it's titled Letters of Spiritual Counsel. And these are letters he's writing to people who are sick and dying, people who are grieving, and a host of other pastoral situations. And to see the way that Luther came alongside them, expressed sympathy, uh, sometimes he had to rebuke, uh, and then ministering uh, the word of God to them, you're you're really seeing a pastoral heart in action. And, And from the sermons, you're seeing the way in which the word of God is brought to bear on people who are grieving or facing these questions about death. So I think remembering that the church began before the year 2023 is helpful for lots of reasons, but especially in this area. Um, We don't face this alone, and I mean that in terms of our generation. But I also mean that looking back through many generations of believers throughout the history of the church.
0: That's helpful stuff. Yeah, it's the reformers. You, sometimes you think about guys like Calvin or Luther, they're just stoic and unaffected by things and just doctrinal, you know, but but they were they were pastors and they experienced death on a level that we usually don't. And I think about even just, I think Calvin lost, you know, some of his children I mean just just incredible grief they face in their own life and so uh there might be some wisdom that they have that we don't we don't have today that we can mine mine from them from the from the generations past
1: that's right uh
0: guy thank you for joining us on the show this is really helpful stuff i think a lot of people are going to be uh comforted and helped and maybe even challenged in some good ways by by the work that you've done and and the words that you've spoken here today and uh, so thank you for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be with you.
0: You guys enjoy this podcast. Make sure you like it and subscribe. We're on Apple and Spotify. And uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Battle Podcast. If you're interested in checking out Dr. Waters' work, uh, we're going to have uh, his book, On Death, linked in the show notes. Make sure you check that out. And uh, as well as the other writings that he's done, he's written extensively on a whole host of topics. And if you want to check those out, uh, we'll, we'll provide a couple of links for that as well. But thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with some more content.